Man, it's good to be together this morning. Welcome and happy 4th of July weekend. You know, a, a little secret of Eric and I's is that when we see rain in the forecast on a Sunday, we rejoice a little bit in our heart because attendance seems to be a little bit higher when there's rain in the forecast. Um, so it'll get sunny eventually 4th of July weekend, but we're happy you guys are here this morning. Um, today we're in a series called Summer Series that we've been doing in June and in July. We're taking a look at some core biblical cultural values here at Alive um, and diving into them one by one. Week one, we talked about how the Bible is our truth, how we build our life on the Word of God. It is our source of truth. It is our guiding light. And um, we're trying to build a culture around here where it's cool to bring your Bible to church. And so we're, we're giving away free candy if you bring your Bible to church. Yeah, just like kids, just like kids church. If y'all brought your Bible to church this morning, would you wave it loud and proud? The, the word is our guide. We've got some Jolly Ranchers for you that the ushers will pass out. Um, so we celebrate that. We celebrate you guys bringing the word and... Don't just bring it as an accessory, but as we go through the scriptures, open it up, look at it in your own, in your own Bible. We love the Bible app. We love digital, digital Bibles, but there's something, um, something special about a physical Bible. So we talked about how the Bible's our truth in week one. Week two, we talked about how faith is our response. If the Bible is our truth, then faith is our response to the word of God. Faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. In the third week, we talked about how one of our cultural values around here is that we work hard and we rest well. We follow the rhythms that God set up where you work six days and you rest on the seventh. Talked about that a little bit. And then last week, Pastor Eric did an awesome job um, talking about our cultural value around here that church is fun and alive. We talked about how boring is the last thing that God ever intended his church to be. No, the church is expansive and full of energy. The church is Jesus' bride that he loves and he adores, and she is surely not boring. So we took time to reframe our perspective about God's bride, the church, and what our involvement should be. This weekend, we're talking about another cultural value around here that um, sets the tone for who we are, like all these other ones, and it's this, that generosity is our lifestyle. Generosity is our lifestyle. And we hear that word generosity, and I think most of us in the church, and even most people who don't call themselves Christians, celebrate the word generosity. Like, we want to be known as generous people. No one sets out in life to be stingy. Like, no one wants that adjective attached to their name. No, we want to be generous people, even in pop culture. Generosity and ph- philanthropy are celebrated. You know, people get excited when a major athlete or a, or a movie star donates millions of dollars or sets up some kind of nonprofit to help those in need. Generosity, I think we all want generosity to be our lifestyle. But yet at the same time, we also have a culture that's really self-focused and selfish. And so most people practice generosity up until it becomes an inconvenience. Or, because, or up until it becomes sacrificial, or until it comes to a point where you have to trust God. But when we look at God the Father, and when we look at the life of Jesus, we see generosity in manifestation. We look at how, G, how God the Father gave his son. We see that in John 3.16. Go and show it for the screens. It says, for, for God, God the Father loved the world so much 
that he gave his only begotten son. That's generosity. Why? Why did he give his only son? That whoever believes in him, Jesus, should not perish but have everlasting life, right? And for the parents in the room, you understand it would be more generous to give your child than yourself. Like any parent in the room is like, if one of us has to die, it's going to be me, not my kid, right? The generosity of the father, the selflessness of the father. And then Jesus, we see in John 10, 18, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down myself. Jesus said, I have the power to lay it down, and I also have the power to take it up again. This command I've received from my father. So when we talk about generosity this morning, we're talking about all the different ways that we can be generous. Sure, we can be generous with our finances, but we can be generous with our time. We can be generous with our talents. We can be generous with our life. And that's what Jesus modeled. He gave it all away. He gave it away. He was generous with the fullness of his life in the fullest context. And even in the little parts of Jesus's life, um, you know, as a mom of three kids, quiet moments are something really special. And I see Jesus getting away to have these quiet moments alone with the father. He'd wake up early and go up to the top of a mountain and have quiet time and prayer and just to be alone. And then you see the crowds pressing in on him. You see the crowds disrupting his moment of peace. And almost every single time, he embraced the inconvenience, which it wasn't to him. It was the whole purpose he was here, right? He was generous with his time. He was generous generous with every part of his life. You look at creation and you see the abundance mentality that God has even in his creation. You see the way that the apple trees are made. You see the way that the pumpkin patch is made. And vegetation and plants have produced more fruit and more seeds than are needed. There's an overabundance. Around here, we like spicers, right? You go to spicers at the end of the season, and there's still apples left on the tree. There's still pumpkins left in the patch because we serve a God of more than enough. There's always an overflow. There's always an abundance. You look at flowering plants. Anybody loving planting their flowers or their vegetables? This summer, you look at flowering plants, and by design, they are designed to multiply, I just got some really good daisies off Marketplace last week. And this lady had a whole bed that just was overtaken by her daisies because that's just how God's creation works with seed, planting of seeds, and multiplying of seeds. And you see all throughout scripture that money is referred to as a seed. We don't look at each other's notes. I was like, Eric, you're about to steal my message if you keep talking this way during offering time. But it was good. You actually went a direction I'm not going, so I appreciate it. Um... But throughout scripture, money is referred to as seed, and it's referred to in that way because there's the same kind of abundance and multiplication possible with money and time and resources as there is with seed-bearing plants. But for that multiplication to happen, the seed has to be sown, right? The seed has to be planted or given. And so we actually are going to go to that scripture that Eric mentioned during offering time, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. And this is a good one. If you brought your Bible, open up because we're going to hang out here for a little minute. Um, So open up to 2 Corinthians 9. It'll be on the screen. But let me open up in prayer and then we'll dive in. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for this morning. God, we thank you what your word says about generosity. God, we thank you how you modeled generosity 
for us. God, may we be more like you and generous and open-handed in every way. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I love this passage in 2 Corinthians 9. We're going to read quite a few verses, 6 through 11. It's just such a great painting of God's heart of generosity and how it all works. He opens up by saying, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. We planted a lot of grass seed, a lot of grass is popping up, praise the Lord. And so he's talking about farming, but then he starts talking about money. He said, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't do it reluctantly or in response to pressure. Like, don't have your arm twisted, but think about it ahead of time. Like, God, how do you want me to give? How do you want me to live generously? Um, And it goes on to say, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully because it's a reflection of him, right? And God will generously provide for all you need. We're going to camp out. Sometimes we don't give because we're afraid that if we give, then that means we're going to have less. But the scriptures say, no, that's actually not how it works. Then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others, just like we see in creation. The apples give away their trees and they still have apples come back the next season. The scriptures say they shall freely and um, they shall share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Verse 10, for God is the one. God provides seed to the farmer and bread to eat. God's the one that is our provider, right? And in the same way, he will provide and he will increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Verse 11, yes, you will be enriched in every way. Why? So that you can always be generous. And that when you take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. Isn't that so good? We could camp out on that for a lot more, but just want to share that to give kind of an overview or kind of a theme for this morning. The world and culture says get, accumulate, buy more, bigger. You never have enough, right? You buy to get more. The kingdom of God says give, live open-handed. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And actually when you give is actually when you get. That's backwards. That's upside down, right? And so this morning, I think all of us want to grow in generosity. I think all of us are like, yeah, man, there's areas of my life that I could be more generous. And we all have areas to grow. And so I think before we, I've got four thoughts this morning through the, the word of God about what does it mean that generosity is our lifestyle. But before we go into it, I think it's good to pause and be like, okay, why are there times that we're not as generous as we want to be? Like if generosity is a value and we all want to be more generous, then why are there times that we don't yield to that or that we don't be generous in the way that we want to? I wrote down some thoughts. Maybe you have some additional thoughts. I said, I think sometimes our lives, our schedules, and maybe even our budgets are just so full that we don't have margin to give. Our calendar is so full that if someone needs us to come and help them and serve them in any way, like we don't have margin in our schedule. Or maybe our budget's so redlined that we don't have margin in our budget to be generous. Or maybe we value stuff, brands, certain lifestyles, more than we value the opportunity to give, especially when that means us going without something. Maybe we're not willing to be inconvenienced. Maybe our love walk just needs to expand a little bit. You know, scripture says that God so loved the world that he gave. Generosity is the outflow of a love, a love walk, right? 
Maybe we just need to grow in our compassion towards others, grow in our love towards God and people. Maybe we have a scarcity mindset. Maybe we're afraid that if we plant and sow and give, that there won't be enough left over for our needs, that God will not provide. Or maybe it's a lack of faith in God's word. Having generosity as a lifestyle is a step of faith. Trusting that God is our provider and not our paycheck or whatever, whatever means we have of income. So as we endeavor to have, um, to be, have generosity be a part of our lifestyle more and more, <clears throat> got to consider what's preventing us. But also a couple of thoughts this morning. The first one is this. Number one, generosity is the way of God. We kind of talked about this a little bit. I want to expound on it just a little bit more. Generosity is just a, a kingdom principle. It's the way of God. We went to it already, but Gen- or John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Our God is a generous God. He is selfless. He gives good gifts. He gives sacrificially. He gives cheerfully. We are to imitate the Father as Jesus imitated the Father. Generosity is a characteristic of the family of God. We are his children, and and it's one way that we are like him, that we can imitate him. It's a trait that we get from our heavenly father is generosity, living open-handed. Check out these other scriptures that take it a couple steps further. Um, Matthew 16.25 says, If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, we're jumping to the chase here. <clears throat> Jesus says, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But actually, if you give up your life, like if you sow your life into the kingdom of God, if you say, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. God, I'm going to take myself out of the leadership position of my life and make you the Lord of my life. And I'm submitting to you because I trust that you're good. I trust that you have good plans for me. And so I'm going to relinquish control of my life and follow you as my Lord. That's giving up our life, right? And God says it mentally, logically, maybe your flesh says, but if I give up my life, what if you forget about me, God? Like, what if I get the short end of the stick? Like, what if somehow my paper, my life gets to the bottom of the stack and it doesn't work out? And God says, trust me, when you give up your life for me, you'll actually find it. You'll actually begin to see what it truly means to live. And then Acts twenty thirty five. maybe you guys didn't know that this is actually a scripture verse, but Jesus is the one that said it. He said, you should remember these words that the Lord Jesus said. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. A lot of times you see that on Pinterest or different places, but Jesus is the one that said that. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And we all feel that, right? We love giving gifts. We love being generous and we love how that makes us feel. But it's true in every way. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So that's the first thought this morning. Generosity is our lifestyle. Why? Because generosity is the way of God. God is a good God. He's generous. He's a cheerful giver. And we can be like him in that way. The second thought this morning is that our stuff locates our heart. Our stuff locates our heart. Here's how scripture says it. In Matthew 6.21, the Bible says, For where your treasure is, There your heart will be also. It actually...
actually doesn't say where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Your treasure actually goes there first and then your heart follows. So if you ever wonder what you value and what has hold of your heart, you just look at your monthly checkbook. Like, where's your money going? Because your heart is following it based on the scripture, right? So if you value your kids, a lot of your money goes to your kids. If you value date nights, it's going to show up in your monthly checkbook. If you value exercise and healthy living, it's going to show up in your checkbook. Because your heart goes where your money, your heart follows your money. Um, those of you who invest in the stock market, um, the only stocks that are hearted on your little app that you follow are the stocks that your money's in. You don't care so much about what other stocks are doing, but you care about the ones where your money's invested, right? Or maybe you have a favorite restaurant or a favorite store or a favorite gym. You probably follow them on social media. You're probably on their email list. You're probably on their text thread. And you haven't deleted it yet because your heart is connected to where your money is going. And you care about when their sales are. And you care about all that stuff, right? Every Friday, I get a text message from Mancino's. And I haven't deleted it yet because (laughs) my heart is there. Um, so does your checkbook show generosity? Are you paying, you know, if you're like, how am I doing in generosity? A good place to look is where's your money going? Are you paying for other people's coffee? Are you the one that gathers the bill at the end of lunch? Are you bringing meals to people? We've got an awesome meal train team when people are going through difficulty or celebrating the birth of a child. There's a team of people here at the church that bring meals, That's an act of generosity. Are you bringing meals to people in need? Are you showing hospitality by opening up your home, sharing your home, sharing the things that God has blessed you with? Does your checkbook show that you're buying gifts for others and giving to the poor? How does your checkbook show that you value generosity? Because wherever your treasure is there, your heart is also, right? And so if our heart follows our money, an important question to also ask ourselves is, is God showing up in our checkbook? Again, because our heart follows our money, And so if we want our heart to be after God, our money has to go in the direction of the things of God also. We'll talk about that more in just a little bit. But if money is the indicator of where our heart is at, um, I believe our calendar is as well. Because really, like money is of value, but sometimes time is of greater value than even money. And so if you look at your monthly calendar, is there proof of generosity? Are you being generous with your time? How are you sowing your time into the lives of others, into the life of God's church? Are we serving, are we using our time generously? And a super practical way that we can do this, if you guys are joining us in person, you guys got a serve day handout. Man, we're so excited to gather as a church. Serve day is something we do annually in August. I think this is our third serve day coming up here where we, we, we sow a Saturday morning of our summer into the community. And we've got all different kinds of outreaches that people can participate in, and it's just a practical way to show the love of Christ to our community. And so you can see, if you're in person, all the different outreaches we have available this year. If you're joining us online, you can go onto the homepage online at the bottom. There's information about Serve Day. But just a practical way to say, you know what, I could be a lot of different places on a Saturday morning, but I'm going to choose to be generous with my time, my talent, my treasure, and serve our community, be the hands and feet of Jesus. Some of the outreaches that you see on there is a group of people will be packaging up baby care kits 
um, baby care packages that Convoy of Hope will then distribute to mothers in need because of natural disaster or war. A team of people will help with that. A team of people will help our literal church neighbor that needs help cutting down his tree and with little loose end things around his house that he is not able to do on his own. There'll be a team of people passing out popsicles at a local local parks and some other projects. One that I'm really excited about that everyone can participate in. Maybe you're like, oh man, I'm out of town that weekend. You can still get in on serve day. Many of you guys know downtown Brighton is going through <clears throat> some construction. And a really practical way that we can love our neighbor is to love on the downtown Brighton um, businesses and restaurants. And so it's a double whammy blessing. We're encouraging one way that we can all be generous is to buy $25 gift cards to your favorite vendor business downtown. Bring it in starting next weekend. We'll have a table in the lobby where you can drop off those $25 gift cards. And then on serve day, there'll be a team of people writing handwritten thank you notes, notes of appreciation and gratitude to our local teachers. And we'll use those gift cards to bless local teachers during welcome week, which would be super cool. So we get to bless the downtown businesses and we get to bless our teachers. And so, man, wouldn't it be cool? We've got two elementary schools, Heartland and Brighton, that are real close by. If we collected around 100 gift cards, we could bless all of the teachers and staff at both of those schools. So that's a real practical way that we can be generous and just show the love of Jesus in a practical way. So, man, we encourage you to check that out, find out ways that you can do that. And it's actually just a really fun day. We come and we have a continental breakfast and we serve and we're all wearing red shirts and it's just fun. Okay, two more thoughts about generosity. This next one, everyone has an opinion about, but it's in the Bible, so we're going to talk about it for a minute, okay? No throwing stones. Number three, on the topic of how generosity is our lifestyle, is that tithing is God's starting block of generosity. We're not going to camp out on this for super long. I'm going to share a couple scriptures and a personal story. Um, but we see throughout scripture that tithing is a practice that God wants us to have. We see in Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, in the message translation, it says, Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best, and your barns will burst, and your wine vats will brim over. So this scripture is saying one way that we honor God is with our finances, with everything that we own. And the way practically that we do that is that we bring him our first and our best of our income. And it's an act of worship and it's an act of faith. And so Eric and I, every time that we get paid, ever since we've been married, every time that we get paid, we, we tithe. But we tithe first. Like as soon as we get paid, we try to not pay any bills or buy any groceries or do anything before first we give our tithe online. Because it's an act of faith. We don't like pay all of our bills and do everything that we want to and then whatever's left over we give. No, we do it in faith. God, we're going to bring you our first and we're going to bring you our best and then trust you for the rest. It's a way that we honor God and then there's a promise attached, which we'll talk about more later in the fourth point. But all of these scriptures about generosity, oftentimes there's a promise linked. And for sure on the scriptures on tithing, there's a promise linked. This one says that your barns will burst. And your wine vats will brim over. And you might be like, bummer, I don't have a barn or a wine vat. (laughs) All your stuff is going to be multiplied is what this scripture is saying. Amen. Um, Another one that we see about the tithe is in Leviticus 27.30. It says one-tenth. A tithe. What is a tithe? It's just a tenth. One-tenth of our income. Leviticus 27.30 says one-tenth of the produce of the land. This is during our 
agricultural time, whether grain from the field or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord, and it must be set apart to him as holy. So the scripture says that the tithe, 10% of our increase, belongs to the Lord, and it's holy to him. We're saying that tithing is a starting block of generosity because really it's, it's, it's not even really giving if it wasn't really ours in the first place. The scripture is saying that the tithe is the Lord's. <laughs> so like if you have a little kid and they bring back something they stole, it's like you're not really giving it to me, you're just returning it to me. So tithing is the starting block because it wasn't really ours in the first place. We're just returning it to its rightful owner. We're just stewarding it well. Malachi 3 uses even stronger language and says that we rob God when we don't bring the tithe. Malachi 3, 8 through 12 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, God says. And you say, but in what ways have we robbed you, God? And he says, in tithes and in offerings. And so you're cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Even the whole nation has robbed me. No one's tithing. So God says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse, into my house, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing, there won't be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit in your field, says the Lord of hosts. And the nations shall call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So many promises linked to bringing our tithe and our offering, but he uses a strong language of robbing God. And so, man, I don't know, I don't know how all this works practically, logically, right? You're like, it seems to me that I'd be more blessed if I lived off of my 100% rather than my 90%. And God's saying, I know, like, logically that makes sense, but that's not actually how it works, right? And so I don't know how it all works. I don't know how God makes it all work, but I know that he does because we've experienced it over and over, where God opens up the windows of heaven, pours out a blessing we don't have room to contain, and then he rebukes the devourer for our sake. And so I'm going to go with God on this one. I'm not going to take my chances and steal from him. And I just want to share a story with you guys to encourage you, because logically, you might be like, this doesn't make sense. All of these promises that God attaches to tithing, like logically, practically, naturally, this doesn't make sense that if I give, somehow I'm going to have more. Or somehow if I live off of 90%, somehow my wine vats are going to overflow, right? So like I said, Eric and I, ever since we've been married, we've tithed off of everything that we've ever made profit off of, anything that we've ever had income on. And over the last, the church's six years, are we going on six years? Well, church will be, Life Family Church will be six years this fall. And um, just, I, I'm sharing a personal story. It has to do with money, so sometimes it can get, get funky, but just I'm sharing a story to encourage you guys, and I think it will be an encouragement. <clears throat> so anyways, um, we started a Life Family Church not to make the big bucks, y'all. <laughs> we started a Life Family Church because God told us to. And there was a significant sacrifice of income to do that. And so for the first many, for, for most of the last six years, our income has been very low. But we have never stopped tithing. 
Um, but for a, a good deal of that portion of time, we did stop saving for retirement. And we're like Dave Ramsey people. We're debt free except for the house. Like we believe in wisdom. The Bible talks about wisdom, right? Faith is not foolishness. And so we believe it's both the natural and the supernatural together that makes an explosive force for God. But there was a sacrifice during this season because we wanted the church to be healthy. We wanted the church to be robust, to someday own its own home, praise the Lord. So there's a sacrifice. And so part of that sacrifice included not saving for retirement as we normally would. We did it by faith. And we continued to tithe, obviously. Um, and so anyways, I'm helping you out because you're like, it doesn't logically make sense. I'm going to share a story of how we've seen it not logically make sense. So anyways, there's a, a long period of time, like I just said. And so we had retirement accounts at our previous place of employment, our, the church that we served at for eight years in Kalamazoo. And, and so when we transitioned here, um, we still had our account over there, and they're like, hey, just get the church started, and then we'll talk about how to roll it over, and you guys get things set up, but just focus on starting the church. And so we're like, awesome. Well, two years later, they're like, hey, you guys got to like roll over your money. And we're like, okay, we're finally, our head is finally above ground that we can get, get a you know, 403B thing set up and all of that. Not necessarily because we're ready to start saving, but because we need to roll this money over. Anyways, long story short, it was winter of 2020 when we finally initiated this um, rollover. Um, I, I initiated it early. Eric happened to delay and he always, God always hooks him up. So anyways, <laughs> it just so happened that without us knowing about the 2020 stock market crash situation, um, that Eric initiated the transfer, the rollover of his account from Kalamazoo to the new account that we set up. And it like takes a long time. Like it took like three weeks for the whole thing to happen where you initiated it, but then they have to withdraw it and write a check. And then that institution has to send the check to that institution and all of that. So anyways, come to find out where it was previously in Kalamazoo. By the time they withdrew the money, it was when the market was at the highest. And then there was like a couple week delay of the check going in the mail until it was finally deposited that when it was deposited into the new account, it was when the market had gone down to the lowest. And we didn't realize it at the time because we were all survival mode, like trying to figure out how to do church online and everything, right? But then like, I can't remember if it was six or 12 months later, we looked at the account and we we're like, what in the world? What happened? And then we looked back and we realized, oh my gosh, those dates couldn't have been more perfect. And so it was just a way, and we looked at it and we were like, oh my gosh, God made it up. He made up the difference. And so that's a way where, you know, God's not going to, he works in different ways in every situation, right? But that's a way where it's like, you know what? You just be faithful to serve God and, and do your best and bring your tithe and, yeah, um, give your life, you know, that you might find it. And God has a way of opening up the windows of heaven and pouring out a blessing in a way that you don't finagle, right? And there's wisdom and there's, and, you know, we believe in wise investing and all of that. But that was a sacrifice for a season. And God's so faithful to make things happen, to open up the windows of heaven. Amen? So just want to encourage you guys of that. It, it felt like a God wink. Like, God's like, I gotcha. We're like, thank, thank you, Lord. Um, but I do want to say God's not a slot machine. And I'm not saying that tithing is a slot machine. Tithing is an act of worship and faith. Tithing is a sacrifice. But we do it joyfully knowing that our paycheck is not our provider. God is our provider, and our faith and our trust is in him.
Amen? Okay. So lastly, I want to close with this. Um, God always asks us to do something, and he always links a reward with it. I think you've probably already seen in a lot of these scriptures the different rewards of a generous life, different rewards of a a lifestyle of tithing. And the last thought this morning of the culture of generosity that we have around here, number four, is that God rewards generosity. It's not like this one obscure scripture that talks about how God rewards generosity. It's in almost every single scripture about generosity. I'm not going to show you these ones for the screen, but some ones that we've already mentioned was in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11, where God says, hey, I'm going to meet all of your needs as you give, and you're going to be enriched in every way to continue to live a generous life, right? Acts 25, 20, 25 says it's more blessed to give than to receive, like we said. Proverbs 3, honoring God with our first fruits, with our first and our, our best, and our barns and our vats will overflow, Malachi 3, when we bring the tithe, the windows of heaven open, and God rebukes the devourer for our sake. But as we close, I want to encourage you with a couple others. Luke 6:38 says, Give, and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Um, it will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. Doesn't make sense. Because culture says, buy. Get, get, and you'll have more. God says, give it all away, and it will be given back unto you, right? Psalm 112, 5 says, good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their businesses fairly. Proverbs 11, 24 through 25, give freely and become more wealthy. That does not make sense, does it? It's a kingdom principle. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Amen. So church family, we have a great culture around here about generosity being our lifestyle. Individually and collectively, we are a generous church, which is amazing. I think we all individually and collectively have areas that we can grow in our generosity. And so let's, as we close um, in prayer, let's ask the Lord to help us in that. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you that we have the opportunity to be more like you in this area of generosity. God, we want generosity to be our lifestyle. So Lord, highlight to us reasons why maybe we aren't generous in the way that we want to be. Give us wisdom. Your word says that you give us wisdom to gain wealth. God, thank you that you give us wisdom on how to gain wealth and how our our income can increase, that our generosity can increase in the same way. Lord, we love you so much and we want to honor you with our wealth. We want to honor you with our life. We want to give up our life so that we could gain it, that we could sow our life into the kingdom, that we could really come alive. Lord, we love you so much and we pray this all in Jesus' name.